Hi, I'm Kevin Matthews, Scottish film fan living in England. I would normally be taking the opportunity this week to act all smug and mention my guest appearance on Watch Skip Plus, the other podcast with friends of ours involved, but I know Dave has been guesting elsewhere, Tyler's been guesting elsewhere. At this point, I'm just trying to keep up. So what I will do instead, I will prod Dave and make him extra angry later about Gunpowder Milkshake. Yay! <laughs> I'm Dave Gray, and uh, yeah, other people do talk to me. So there's actual evidence of that now. Tyler now owes me 20 bucks. <laughs> I'm Tyler Hosley, and I guest appeared on another podcast a couple weeks ago, but I think I already talked about that. And, uh, and this is Raiders of the Podcast. Yay! Yay! I watched one movie this week. I watched The Haunting in Venice, which bored the fuck out of me. Uh, just like the rest of the ser- movies in that series. Um, what was it? Murder on the Orient Express. And there was another one, right? Yeah, Death on the Nile. Yes, that one bored me too. So uh, apparently I'm not a fan of this trilogy. Um, I thought The Murder on the Orient Express was okay-ish. I don't really remember a lot of it. I saw it in the theater, but I don't remember much. Um, Death in the Nile was just boring, and Haunting in Venice might be the worst of the lot, I think. Um, it looks pretty. It's a very pretty-looking movie, but it's a very boring movie, too. So, uh, yeah, I had a really short week, disguise, and unfortunately, it just wasn't a very good movie. So, that's me. I just don't get how you can get Hercule Poirot so wrong so many times in a row. Like, they keep giving you chances, Kenneth. We want you to do well, Mr. Brana asshole i like kenneth Branagh too for the most part i will say though i will say the cast is pretty good for the most part i kelly riley is great but i really like her um tina face fine michelle Yeoh's good even the dude from 50 shades of gray jamie dornett who really doesn't leave much of an impression of anything he's actually okay in the two it's just the movie is really fucking boring like just ugh. yay and that's it? You didn't watch anything else after that? I would have watched something just to feel better about myself. I didn't. I was, you know, it's was funny. I was going to watch the whole trilogy again because I saw that they added Haunting in Venice in, uh, on Hulu. And I'm like, you know what? I can't I can't do those again. So just the one. Smart. Smart. I watched more than you. Uh, I watched Aquarius, a Brazilian character study. It's on Kino now. It's brilliant. You should go watch it. It, sure, I could you know nitpick and say it could be a little shorter, but it's it's excellent, it's wonderful, and it's you know worth watching. I watched Gamera the Brave, the last Gamera movie, which is a lot of fun. Showed it to my niece. Speaking about kaiju and my niece, uh, I just discussed uh, Godzilla vs. Uh, <laughs> Megalon. Godzilla vs. Megalon. Over on uh, Horror 101 with Erin Christensen. That's on YouTube. You can go watch that. And uh, remind Tyler, he owes me money because people do speak to me. <laughs> Besides that, I also uh, I got a few more in. Nothing really uh, brag worthy, but I did watch The Cheat, an old 1930s pre-code starring um uh crap Tallulah Bankhead who I haven't actually seen anything of before and that's why I watched it and 
wow, not only is it a bad movie, it is like ridiculously racist, which like I get it. It's 1931 and and people were ridiculously racist back then. But wow, uh, I, I watched the 1977 Robert Bresson film, uh, The Devil Probably, The Devil Probably, which is brilliant and wonderful and nihilistic as you can possibly want from, you know, an 80 year old French man making a French movie about how everything sucks. And I uh, finished it off with another pre-code, Safe in Hell. This one stars uh, Dorothy McAkale, which uh, I really dug. I thought it was a solid one about a, a woman who <laughs> accidentally kills the man who raped her and forced her into prostitution, so she has to flee to a Caribbean island. I... It is probably the most overwrought film description I've ever given in all the years on this show. I, you know, I still I enjoyed the crap out of it. It was it was a decent one. I'd never heard of of the lead, so uh, you know it's good to discover things. Yay! Was that you, Dave? Yeah, the only other things I watched were for the great work, and uh, I'm not ready to talk about that publicly yet. Okay. Uh, well, once again, I will apologize in advance if I get the the cutoff wrong. Like I tend to go through my letterboxed diary, uh, but I know some titles I watch ahead of time because I'm reviewing them. Uh, anyway, I've watched a lot of stuff for November already, you'll be pleased to know. But last Saturday was weird. Because uh, was it? It was a Saturday or a Sunday. Anyway, Vicky was like, "Let's go upstairs have an early night, watch something, be cozy, and enjoy a movie." I said, "I think I know what you want to watch," and she held up three fingers, not just giving me the bird in both hands, but uh, she'd been backdoor nurses nine. <laughs> yes, finally, she, she'd been keen to watch uh, Equalizer three. So we came up. And uh, I feel I was hoodwinked here because we came up and I said, oh, let's find a cheesy rom-com. I was like, pardon? She says, yeah, I'm in the mood for a cheesy rom-com. I said, well, that's all well and good, but I don't think that will have Denzel Washington wiping out the mafia. But a cheesy rom-com it was. So we watched While You Were Sleeping, which uh, I quite enjoyed although it had the distinct lack of Denzel Washington killing people in it. But instead had Sandra Bullock being uh, charming and lovely in mid-90s prime Bullock time, had Bill Pullman, and uh, some enjoyable supporting turns. Let's be fair, that movie would be so much better if they killed some people, though. Especially Bill Pullman's character. Or no. Oh, I... Who's like the guy that falls people. on the track? The guy that falls on the tracks? That's not Pullman. Yeah. It's the other one. Uh, Peter Gallagher? Peter Gallagher, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I was going to say, there's a couple of characters I'd kill ahead of Bill Pullman, who's, uh, you know, he's he's doing his best to be full-on charming Bill Pullman in this. Although it would be so much better with Bill Paxton in that role. But Bill Paxton should be everyone except... For the guy who falls, no, no, even the guy who falls, he should be everyone except the ticket taker 
that witnesses the fall. Ah, right, okay. I'd just call the film while you were Paxton. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or Frailty 2, Electric <laughs> Belgaloo. Uh, I know I've mentioned this a lot in our conversations behind the scenes, so I don't think I mentioned it on the podcast. Oh, I loved Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Uh, yeah, just a Sydney Limit film that's uh, boosted by a fantastic cast. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ethan Hawke are in lead roles. There's a great role for Albert Finney. The way the plot unfolds is fantastic. So I just, I loved that. It was one that had uh, stayed below my radar for some time. Loved it. Got around to Croupier. The uh, Arrow Blu-ray I had sitting there, I was waiting to open in November. Uh, Croupier is good. Clive Owen is uh, really good in the lead role. And I think it benefits from the fact that it kind of has a a cheeky, sly sense of humour running through it. It's sort of going with a, a few neo-noir tropes, but also, uh, yeah, sort of... Um, there's no other way to put this. It feels like it's taking the piss a little bit, but in a good way. Um, it's good humoured with it. So I I really quite enjoyed that. Going further back in the years, though, with uh, stuff that's that I think Dave is more likely to have seen. Although I know you've seen uh, Croupier and Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. But Dave, have you seen Too Late for Tears? Um, Not sure off the top of my head. Uh, 1949 film, Elizabeth Scott is a woman who, while she and her husband are driving along, they get a bag of money thrown into their car. And things spiral for there because obviously she wants to keep the money, but uh, they don't know how they've got money and what that money was for. So people are after the money. It's very enjoyable. And uh, Elizabeth Scott uh, moves very quickly from sweet and uh, seemingly innocent housewife to schemer who wants to keep that money to herself at all costs. Very, very good. I have not seen that, but I do know that it's just Lizbeth Scott. All right, okay. Um, they, I think the way it's spelled is like Elizabeth without the it e. It is without the so e. That's yeah. just my pronunciation. Uh, well, that's that's good to know. Then I can't recall. I think I've seen her in a few other things, but she's in uh, Dead Reckoning with Humphrey Bogart. I can't remember if I've seen that one. But there'll, there'll be stuff. Uh, I don't know. I think the only other thing I can think of is uh, Desert Fury. That's another noir with. Uh, oh, shit. Who's in that one? Uh, Burt Lancaster. See, that doesn't ring a bell. Either. But that's a problem. When you get to the noirs, like from this era, they all have you know, vaguely cool titles that can easily blur into one another. That's my defense. I'm sticking by it. But next up, Dave, have you seen 1944's The Suspect? Yes. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Charles Lawton in the main role there. And I've seen Charles Lawton in one or two other films. 
I think I tend to like him, but he was really good in the lead role here. As um, I've got to say what you would describe as a henpecked husband in a loveless marriage. That's certainly, I'm thinking, how they would generally uh, sell the synopsis to people. He starts to enjoy the company of a young woman. Uh, his wife eventually becomes irritated by that and wants to put a stop to things and um, uh, non-hilarity ensues. I I thought it was great. I really liked it. Um, it's, I don't know, I think I haven't sort of dived in last week with the bleakest of the bleak noirs, but it's good that they have a nice balance. Uh, the ones I've watched have sort of, uh, they have a lightness of touch but they still have the dark shading of the noirs because then I followed that up with uh, Sam Fuller's 1953 film Pick Up on South Street, which Dave has seen. Oh, yeah. That's like okay. a must-see. Uh, of course it is, yeah. It was my first time watching this one. <laughs> Again, I think with the few uh, Sam Fuller's that I've watched so far, I get confused with... Uh, like the ones that I've seen and the ones that I haven't, because I always mix up, uh, I think, is it House of Bamboo and the Crimson Kimono? Like, I've watched one of them. I can't remember yeah. which. Pick up on South Street. I thought I'd seen. Turns out I hadn't. It's really, really good. Um, I, I am biased towards Sam Fuller movies anyway, because he makes great movies. But Richard Widmark is uh, is great in this, and Jim Peters, uh, those two work really well together. This is basically a tale of a pickpocket who doesn't realise that um, the woman he's just pickpocketed was um, unknowingly transferring uh, material that may be headed towards the hands of communists. Uh, a lot of fun, uh, just great stuff. And then last, but by no means least, because either Dave hasn't seen this or he's seen it and gone into a rage fit that has made him try to wipe it from his memory. I watched 2013's Gangster Squad. Have you seen it, Dave? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I actually had a rage fit on an episode once about it. Um, oh, did you? It was oh, a while ago. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It was. Yeah. It's everything I hate. The <laughs> cast, the director, the script. <sighs> oh, Tyler will be feeling left out. Dude, yeah, Tyler was a seen, fan. Have you seen Gangster Squad? Do you like it? I have. I have. I do like it, actually. Um, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I did really enjoy it when I saw it back when it dropped. So it's been a while, though. I like I like Josh Brolin in it. Um, I think Emma Stone feels like a good fit if the material was a bit better. I don't like what Gosling's doing in it. He's sort of pitching his voice a little bit higher and just that uh, he, he's made a choice, which I don't think works. Sean Penn is okay, but every Sean Penn role is soured by the fact that he's Sean Penn nowadays. And then there were moments where I was just like, oh yeah, 
I quite enjoyed playing the video game Mafia. And and this is uh, like part of that, especially the finale. I got this real feeling of deja vu as if it was lifted from the video game I'd done. The, the look of the thing is generally quite nice, but yeah, I think um, that's all it really has going for it a lot of the time because is it Ruben Fleischer who directed this? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Like when when he's trying to, you know, th- there are moments where he's clearly like, well, I enjoy these gangster movie tropes, but I want to then put them in a scene where I can, you know, use slow-mo and modern effects to give this a bit of fizz-bang wallop. And they don't really work. The moments that work best are kind of... Brolin being a badass. Uh, Nick Nolte was enjoyable in his small amount of screen time. And the general sort of, the general vibe in the the few scenes when it was working right, sort of the gathering of the gang was good. But then you're sitting there thinking, oh, I could just, you know, rewatch The Untouchables and that's a much better movie. I know it's not exactly the same, but it, it kind of feels the same. It, it kind of is exactly the same. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, there's nothing here that comes close to the uh, the train station oh, the, steps. You, you want to know something the, funny that I, I do remember a bit of trivia from it. Uh, Nick Nolte's character. Nick Nolte's in his 70s in the movie. The guy he's playing was like 44 in real life. Wow. Yeah. I mean, but but nobody's looked that age for quite some time. <laughs> so. But he's still 70-something playing a 44-year-old. Oh. And uh, that that was me. I mean, I, to be, I've owned Gangster Squad for a while because I think it's one of those that I picked up on Blu-ray for like, you know, a pound or two and it was also on prime video so i figured i'll watch it do it for my amazon prime review on my blog for next week but i was quite disappointed by it so um sorry t once again you're on the island of tyler with that one i'm used to that (laughs) isn't that one also isn't um um johnny stampato also a character in that film I I, can't I think remember. I think he's the who's guy that's Johnny Stampal. Uh, well, he was he was a gangster in in real life. I think he's the guy played by um, uh, uh, John oh Pino? yeah, it was it was uh, James Carpinello or something. Yeah, the guy from uh, oh, uh, Rock it, of Ages. Yeah. It, oh, I'm yeah. thinking of John John Polito. Yeah, remember. no, 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 no. He was also. He was also in the Punisher movie with Thomas Jane. He was yes. one of John Travolta's sons. Yes. Yeah, the real guy. The real guy actually uh, was stabbed to death by his uh, his girlfriend's daughter like 10 years after that movie takes place. Because I, I believe he... Uh, I don't remember if he assaulted her or, or attacked the daughter. But it was um, Lana Turner's daughter. I mean, I assumed this was uh, 
complete nonsense. But you're, you're telling me they tried to Yeah, they, they took real – they're all real people. Right. I, I think even all of the – most of the squad is real people. I don't know if, if all of them are. But the guy they took down, um, I think the only member – like, I think the only ones that aren't real people are Anthony Mackie and uh, Michael Pena. Well, I mean that's yeah, I mean that that probably tracks from the time. Uh, they they were Mackie was great in it. Pena had a lot less to do. Uh, I liked seeing Robert Patrick and his role in it. I say there were individual elements that I enjoyed, but they they didn't come together well enough. And I just I just don't know why someone didn't say to Gosling, "You don't need to make that choice." Like it, it wasn't just my year, right? He was no, no, he's doing something no, you're, you're with right. his voice. No, he's doing something, all right. Yeah, <laughs> and that was me acting this week. <sighs> we watched the 2021 action thriller on Netflix, Gunpowder Milkshake, and. The 1959 British crime, uh, there's a term for it and I'm brain farting, you know, procedural, thank you, me, Sapphire. Hey, Kevin? Yes, Dave. Would you like to pick a movie and tell us about it? I sure will. I will go with your choice of 1959 Sapphire. And the reason I'm going with your choice first, Dave, is um, I need to know why you picked this because it went up on the criterion uh, noir thing and i went i haven't seen that yet that'll be fine right. was it new to you uh like be- no i before we all watched it i knew nothing about it except right, it was okay. on the criterion thing and it might have had a little to do with race because all i knew was the write-up that went up i i believe uh, the day we recorded so cool uh, it just, you know, it seemed like an odd choice from you when knowing your taste, if you're going for one that you'd already seen enjoyed or going for anything in a particular uh, theme. But it is, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is sort of what you thought it was. It's a very odd film. So directed by Basil Dearden, who uh, also did... Dead of Nights. He's one of the directors of that. I can't remember. There's like five or six on there, isn't there? But he's he's oh, one of them. Uh, yeah, there's there's a few. Um, he's done some other uh, well-rated films that I haven't seen. So uh, there may be other people who would prefer me to know his filmography better I can only apologise I've yet to watch films like The Blue Lamp and uh, and The Square Ring which uh, sounds like a goodie but you directed a Benny is... Hill movie you didn't see that? I'm shocked No, I didn't. shocked I've, I don't think I've ever seen a Benny Hill movie although I've seen movies with Benny Hill in them because he's in the Italian job Oh, yeah, I always forget about that. I try to suppress yeah. any time I see Benny Hill, personally. <laughs> uh, I, I read his biography, and it was 
quite a fascinating tale. But that's uh, for another time. That's whenever I guest on a Benny Hill podcast. <laughs> so this is the uh, tale of a, an investigation into the murder of a young woman. And quite early on, it turns out that this young woman was actually black, but she could pass for white. So this isn't uh, anything that is unfamiliar to me, and I'm going absolutely blank now on the other main film that I know is the Douglas Sirk one that has this at the heart of it. Oh, you, you know the one I mean, Dave. You yeah, but I can't, I can't remember the title offhand. <sighs> it's yeah. not. Oh, I, I can't remember. Um, I've seen that. Obviously, there was a film in recent years, I think, called Passing. That is, um, I think it's either reworking that Douglas Sirk film or Imitation of Life. Oh, Imitation, Imitation of Life. Imitation of Life. Yeah. Uh, um, so I've seen Imitation of Life, loved that. I've not seen Passing. I've heard good things about this. Uh, but this is, so, I mean, this isn't what I expected Sapphire to be. And it's a very strange one because it does, you know, it, it is a complete exploration of the of the attitudes and the racism of the time. You have the chief inspector played by Nigel Patrick uh, going about and visiting mainly uh, a family that was involved with the deceased, but um, they are all potential suspects as well. And then different people come into the picture who are also potential suspects, or they could be related to the deceased and it gets quite murky and unpleasant quite quite quickly I like this and it's it's a difficult one to really form a full opinion because it's so bizarre for me from thinking of um, like British films that I've seen from this period that I've not seen many that address the race issue in this way because from my experience more of the British cinema that addresses racism tends to address it when it's uh, it was more confrontational and even even is uh, doing some lifting there, but even uglier. This is obviously exposing an ugly side of British culture at this time, but it's people who drink tea and offer you a scone, but then be ready to shuffle you out of the side window if you uh, have the cheek to try and come in alongside a black person. That's That's what this is representing. And that's just as ugly, but with the prim and proper 
attire trying to dress over it. Um, so it's really, it's really bizarre. It's really interesting to see it uh, presented for the most part in such a such a smiling, polite, repressed anger grin kind of way. Um, I think the cast all do a, generally a good job. It's very much, um, you know, cut glass English accents and people being all prim and proper unless they are just sent over the edge by seeing someone of a different skin colour. Um, I, I kind of wish Craig was on there with me because I know that he's a bit younger than me. But so I was born in the mid-70s, so I grew through the 80s. So I'm not old enough to know this. And I'm also just a white guy who won't know this. But there were a couple of times here where they used a specific slur that I always thought of as more of an American thing. But then again, at this time, I'm wondering if uh, the language was affected by sort of the more of a, a mix between Americans and English after the war and and people being over here and using that language. Or maybe I've just lived in a bubble of blissful ignorance and didn't know that uh, that term was ever bandied about back at that time. Uh, as a racial slur. I believe Craig asked me if uh, it was made in modern day Kent, and I said no, it was made in 1959, <laughs> and he went, oh, weird. So, uh, you know, <laughs> take take that as you will. Oh, I, I absolutely uh, get that point for for most of it. Uh, as I say, just this, the specific, uh, I think you'll know, you know the, the awful word I'm referring to, but I always thought it was more of an Americanism. Uh, yeah, it's like whatever you can say about this film, and I think it's far from perfect. I think it's it's so odd and oddly put together in the way that certain scenes seem to not fit, and then you find out the context. You know, just after you find out a bit more. Or you find out how other people are viewing things as uh, as the investigation is going on, or as you realise that people are having different sort of kinds of relationships with one another in terms of being uh, protective or trying to push people away. Uh, but like this is a film I would recommend people watch because it's so so interesting and unique and it's bizarrely absolutely British and yet feels quite unlike a lot of the other British movies I would say from this time like I've seen a lot of British movies from this time that would explore uh, like sexuality or class and power but I've never seen anything uh, and it might just be a blind spot for me. I've never seen anything, as I say, that's explored the 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 racism and the divide 
uh, of this era in this way. So it's really unique for that. So it was a good pick, Dave, because I would never have heard of this had you not uh, mentioned it and I did get to jump on to Criterion and watch us. Um, I'm really mixed on this one, if I'm being totally honest, guys. Like, I don't really know how to take this movie. Um, Let me start with the stuff I did like, though. Overall, I think technically it's a solid late 50s police procedural. Uh, it has some great location settings. Uh, the movie looks good, and it's got two really strong performances. Uh, the race and race, racial tension stuff is kind of weird. I don't think it's handled offensively or anything like that. It's just bizarrely handled. Like, I'm just conflicted as fuck to how to take in how the race stuff was handled in this particular movie and it's really weird tone. It's kind of dated for the most part, but that's to be expected from a film made in 1959. But I think an exploration of racism stuck inside of a murder mystery plot should be more engaging than it was for me personally. My, uh, my mind kind of started to wander through most of the second act. I, I don't think it's paced well. I kind of feel it, it kind of feels like an overlong episode of Dragnet at times. Um, the structure is really strange. Uh, like I said, the performances were strong. I thought the two central leads were really good. I just didn't really feel anything from these characters. Uh, the whole thing just kind of left me cold. But it's weird. When it was over, I kind of wanted to rewatch it because I felt like I must have missed something. Like, I do think it may work better on a rewatch now that I know what it is going into this. I might go back to it in the future. But um but for now, I it's just kind of there for me. It's just it's a really strange movie and I just one viewing just isn't enough. I think I really do think I missed something in this one viewing and um it's just everything's handled weird. It's a very strange movie and I, I'm conflicted as fuck on this entire movie. So I might have to get back to you on this one guys because it's it's a weird one. Um, I don't totally disagree with Tyler. Uh, let, let me say the things I like first. Uh, unlike him, I think this is a, a really good procedural. It's it's a well done. It goes along at, at a brisk clip. They don't, you know, get slogged down in any misdirections. It's, it's a solid procedural with uh, some really good acting in it. I, I really, really liked, um, uh the the lead i thought he was uh excellent as uh nigel patrick as superintendent robert hazard uh i thought he was really good i thought most of the harris family except for one specific one were pretty good uh, I, I thought a lot of it was was really solid. Um, as a procedural, it's it's great. It's decently shot. It's decently acted. It, it goes at a brisk pace. Uh, I, I totally recommend it on that side of things. Uh, but the the thing is, it, it does also deal with. Uh, racism and, and and race issues and this is and this is where it 
gets hurt for me because while our our hero, our lead, the superintendent is staunchly not racist, his sidekick played by Michael Craig, and I think Michael Craig is really good in his role as a total bastard. Uh he's still alive by the way. He's he's ninety four right now. Um just pointing that out is is an interesting little aside. Uh, I think he's he's good in the role, but the problem is Inspector Phil uh, Leroy is, and a lot of other people are terribly racist bastards. And the attitude the movie takes is a little. It's okay. I get it's nineteen fifty nine, uh, but here here's here's the issue with it. In England, racism was very much in the forefront at the time. So I give the movie credit for attempting to deal with it. But there were there was a apparently there was a, a, a string of um, riots in London in Nottingham, uh, and and this is something they needed to really deal with. And instead, they just kind of got comfortable pointing at it. Like, uh, you know, the superintendent goes, now, now, Leroy, we won't be racist here, will we, chap? But it's like, no, you need to smack him down for being an asshole. You just got to fucking smack him. I, um, I thought Earl Cameron was excellent as the doctor brother. Uh, Dr. Robbins, I don't think he did. He get a first name. I didn't write it down if he did. And and I, the the problem is how it handles the racism. It just is happy to be like, oh look, and people are racist too. And at no point do they really challenge it. At no point do they they smack it down. And there are times when the movie itself kind of indulges in it. There's a whole scene at a jazz club. Where they kind of are like, oh, women who like jazz are obviously promiscuous and get what's coming to them. And it's like, ah, that hasn't aged so well. So, yes, this is a really good mystery. If you go in with to it, knowing it's 1959 in England and it is not going to be the movie you want it to be. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think folks should look it up. You should look it up on Criterion or, or elsewhere. Just, you know, be aware. I think this is one I would love to see get a remake with just slightly more modern um, you know, stance against racism because there, it's just a little too it's lax enough to make me feel uncomfortable in spots. You know, I just, I mean, to, to be fair, the, the least believable thing in it is the chief inspector being <laughs> yeah. happily non-racist. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I totally <laughs> agree. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, it just, there just, there were just a couple spots where it just kind of went like, I kind of wish they'd kind of, you know, at least let the brother smack it down. Maybe not let 
the black club owner go on that long chat about how all girls that like jazz are sexually promiscuous and kind of deserve it. You know, like there's just a couple moments where it just kind of made me go, ah, guys, please. And could they have made more time for an extra scene or two of Fenella Fielding in a lingerie shop? Yes. Because yes. I was enjoying that little moment as well. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's it is a good movie, but I it's one of the f- a few where I just kind of go ooh. In retrospect, where you just kind of go, oh, that's that's a little dated. Speaking of dated, the other movie we watched was Gunpowder Milkshake. It might have only come out in twenty twenty one, but everything feels at least twenty years older. <laughs> Estranged from her mother, young Sam has grown up to a hit woman for the shadowy The Firm. When a hit goes kind of wrong, she has to look towards her mother's former colleagues, the librarians, in order to help save a young girl from... I I don't know why she's still dragging the girl around at that point, to be honest. From others... I guess. I I don't like this movie. This this movie is uh, homage the film. Do you like the soundtrack from old spaghetti westerns? Well, don't worry. Half the background music in the first half, all the background music in the first half of the fights are bad uh, Maracone ripoffs. That's fun. Uh, no, really. I mean, it's it's bad. Uh, it was written by um, a composer by the name of Frank Ifman. And um, yeah, he's he should not have done that. It was just the lazy, most generic. Hey, you like uh, spaghetti western soundtracks? It's a spaghetti western soundtrack. Ha 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 ha! Possible. It was. It was terrible. Uh, the action scenes are some of the most dull. Hey, it's a reference in a homage within an homage within an homage. Ha 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 ha! Dave, can I just interject one moment? Sure. Uh, just to remind you that. This was picked by 33.3% of our listener base. Yeah, I know. I know. Bear that in mind. And and Tim knows this is not personal. (laughs) This is, I'm not insulting him. He is a wonderful human being, and I am glad that he listens and supports his son. Unlike, say, my papa. So, you know, if he wants to adopt me and have a son his age, I'm here, baby. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) where was i oh okay uh the action scenes because they're all done before everything in this feels like it's been directly ripped out of another movie and that's kind of the problem and even that would be okay if they let the characters be characters but they're they're not uh i like karen uh gillian uh, I like her a lot. Why? Because she's a f- 
fiery redhead actress and she's fun in a lot of things. She's an enjoyable screen presence. But she's not in this. In this, she's nothing. She's just a body that kind of stands there. Uh, I Lena Headley is amazing. She is one of, you know, I love watching her in things. But again, she's nothing in this. She's just fluff. She just stands there with a goofy weapon. And, that's, that, and they keep telling us, you've got a plan for everything. But she never has a plan. Maybe if she had a single fucking plan, I'd be like, oh, that paid off. But no. Uh, Carla Gugino, I love. she. I And I am so happy she's got a career resurgence over the last few years. But she just stands there. It's the and, and then they keep wasting Angela Bassett and Michelle Yeoh. They have this awesome core group and they do nothing with them. And it, I can't even say, well, it's a feminist action film because it's not. There's no feminism in here. They they name drop some female authors, but you got to do more than that, guys. You know, women winning a gunfight, if that is like the bare minimum of. Uh, it's not the worst John Wick ripoff I've seen. I wouldn't even call it so much a John Wick ripoff because it more rips off everything in the last 40 years. There's John Woo ripoffs. There's Chow Yun Fat ripoffs. There's Quentin Tarantino ripoffs. There's, I mean, name anything that's been popular in action movies since 1994, and it's referenced. It is ripped out of here. There's links to La Femme Nikita and The Professional. And it's just, it's just not fun enough. They have a cast that is more than capable of carrying this picture and having fun interactions with each other, but... They never let them do that. So instead, you've just got this bland, soulless, unfun movie screaming at you. Hey, you remember this? You liked this in Face Off? To the point that when one of them dies, like, I just, I don't fucking care. It's, it's done without any... Nothing weighs anything. Nothing matters. This is just... It's just... It's a disappointment. It's a bad disappointment. Uh, Apparently, they're supposed to make a sequel, and I hope they replace the writer-director, because this cast deserves better. The audience deserves better. And there have been a ton of movies just like this that have come out around the same time that were better. What was the one, uh, Kate? And and the one that was Crank with, uh, with uh, you know, Crank, but with tits. Um, Jolt? Um, yes, Jolt. They're better. They're the same movie, but they're, they're better because they let the cast do what they do. I'm not saying they're great movies, but if I have to pick between the three of them, Gunpowder Milkshake comes in dead last. And then in the end, they threaten Paul Giamatti, who is just a middleman. Like, they don't even go after the big bads. The whole thing is just kind of limp and lame. 
so you you really want that whole ramble to oh yeah come come to a close with the phrase crank with tits yeah no i don't for, i couldn't think i couldn't th- i feel so bad i could not think of her name and i still can't just under underworld woman and kate beckinsale kate beckinsale fuck i don't know why i i told you guys before we started recording i am tired and crank with tits is like the worst thing I've ever said on this podcast. And I'm going to leave it in because sometimes I do wrong and I feel bad about it, but I, I own it. I'm sorry. It's like something I would say, Dave. That was. That was a Tyler line. You're a bad influence. <laughs> to the surprise of no one, I like this a bit better than Dave, but it it doesn't get a Kevin Seven. It is It is disappointing, granted. Um, the strangest thing about it, probably, is the fact that it's directed by Navot Papushado, if I'm pronouncing that right, who uh, worked with, he co-directed both Rabies, aka Calvia, and uh, Big Bad Wolves with his partner. So this is him directing Solo, and the writer on this, uh, well, the other co-writer, Ehud Lavsky, uh, this is their first film, which is no surprise at all. But yeah, uh, Papa Shadow uh, seems like an odd choice for him. So I'm assuming he thought it would translate better with the the quirkiness of it, which they're obviously trying, but it doesn't work. Um, I like... Like, I like enough of this that I could put it on and be entertained just just by it creeping above average for me. But a lot of that is done to the cast. And that's despite the fact that a lot of the cast is wasted. Uh, Karen Gillan's good in the lead role. And I think she is able to give the appearance that she can handle herself, whether it's kicking, punching, or shooting guns. Uh, same goes for Lena Headey. Uh, I've just been in love with her for years, so uh, enjoy watching her and everything. I've still not watched any of my box set of the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and I should. You should. She's good in it. I mean, the rest of the show, not so much, but she's she's a great Sarah Connor. Um, I knew this would upset Dave when I saw how wasted... Michelle Yeoh, Angela Bassett, and Carla Gugino were. Oh my god, how do you get those three in a fucking room together and be like, no, don't do anything. Yeah. obvious puns. Ha ha! Yeah, it's it's not good for for wasting their considerable talents. Um, and, And they're involved in what is supposed to be a great set piece just over the halfway point. And it falls flat because, as Dave said, it's uh, really all about putting on spaghetti western music and making sure everything is slow-mo for long enough to show every every bullet hole, everything that's hit by ammo, just everything. And it becomes boring after about 10 seconds of that. Uh, there is some inventiveness that works. So I like the sequence where Gillen has her 
uh, hands and arms numbed where she's trying to shoot people and has help from the young girl in her care. I like that bit. What I like less is when she's uh, turning the young girl into an expert car driver in like two seconds by instructing her in a just in a car park while they're evading baddies. In theory, it's a fun idea. And the execution of it, it just, it for me, it just didn't work. I just couldn't suspend my disbelief for that. Were you going to say something, Dave? I was going to say it's the only red car in the parking lot, and they drive past it repeatedly <laughs> because it's not under directly underneath a fluorescent light. Is that yeah, and and uh, not to mention the kind of turns and fancy moves that like I was never even able to try when I was practicing at a car park when I was like nineteen. As well as the women featured, you do get uh, Giamatti in a small role, uh, Ralph Innocent, uh, Michael Smiley. But again, the I think I think Smiley actually has quite a bit of fun here, and Innocent has one or two main scenes that make good use of him. So the biggest waste is Giamatti, who is. I mean, he's not even allowed to have the fun he had and, like, shoot him up. Like, if they just had his character be the same as that character, this might have been more fun. All of the other villains and the potential victims are just... I mean, you don't care for any of them because you're just waiting for them to shuffle off the mortal coil. It's it overcomes so much rubbish because of the cast. And even, you know, Chloe Coleman, I believe, is the uh young girl plays Emily. I think she was uh she's good. You know, I, I like her in there. I like her uh, I mean, relationship you know, with Gillen's character. In other things she's good, yeah, not not <laughs> this. I I thought she was quite good in this. I like, you know, the their smaller moments together, quieter moments together. Um, so that works. As I say, it just manages to keep its head above average for me, but that's because I'm very easily pleased, and I like, I like pretty much all of the main cast. They're just largely wasted. Sorry, Tim. We still love you. We still love Tyler. Uh, feel free to keep sending suggestions for us to, to hurt Tyler in the future. So I had not seen this before. Uh, my dad told me it was between this or 365 days. But Oof. Oh, but man. <laughs> but, Damn, Tim. That's cold. But... <laughs> But that's an erotic movie, so he was like, there's no way they would actually believe that it was picked by me and not me. <laughs> actually, <laughs> so, he's right. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I'm going with Gunpowder Milkshake, and that was his direct quote. Um, for the most part, I actually really dug this one. It's not perfect. 
But it's a fun action flick. For me, it is one of the better Netflix original action movies that I have seen. I wouldn't say it's like bright levels of good. I like I know I'm like the lone fan of Bright. I fucking love that movie. Um but I thought this was solid overall. I, I really like the cast. Lena Hetty is amazing and Kevin, yes, you really need to check out Sarah Connor Chronicles. That show is fucking awesome. Um uh, Karen Gillan's good. Michelle Yeoh and Angela Bassett are fine. I love them all dearly as actresses, and I enjoyed them all in this. But yeah, uh, Michelle Yeoh and Bassett were kind of wasted, which is a shame because they're amazing. Um, the editing and choreography is a little clunky, but it's super violent and it's really stylish. Um, I dug the neon drenched cinematography. I swear, when you put neon in a movie, it just totally elevates that shit for me. I don't know what it is. I love neon. Um, it's energetic. It moves at a quick, snappy pace. It has a fun soundtrack. The comedy doesn't always land, and it feels a bit shoehorned in, but it just it never took me out of the movie itself. I just I just really like these characters. Um, like I said, I. I don't think it's perfect, but I do think it is one of the better Netflix movies that I have seen thus far. I actually like this better than Kate or The Old Guard or Extraction or The Gray Man. I haven't seen Crank with a Uterus, but I think Gunpowder Milkshake is better than all of those. Um, I will agree with Dave on one thing, though. It is one giant movie filled with homages. It's heart and soul is a fucking homage. But I think that was the point, so I just took it as so. Um, it's fun stuff. I uh, I don't regret watching it. Um, I probably I don't know if I would have ever gotten to it if my dad didn't pick it. But I think he does like this one. I'm gonna have to ask him what his thoughts were on this one because I know he watched it as well. I just I don't I didn't get what he said. I, I mean I didn't get his thoughts on it just yet. But um, if I do, I may send him to Dave and maybe he can edit it in. But uh, I know he just likes actions, so that's why he picked it. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun time. And then don't don't forget to let your dad know. Although I I rarely mention it, but I managed to get a selfie with like two of the stars, Tyler. Oh, two. nice! It's a double selfie movie. I mean, this one. Of course, they don't know he's there, but you know, I'm in the crowd. <laughs> Leading I'm, through I'm the far, window counts. Far enough away that the tag doesn't beep. And that's all that matters. That's true. Oh. Huh. I watched Sisu this week and I totally forgot about it. So that that's all you need to know about that then. Sorry, that just I just thought of that while sitting here. Uh it's it's time to pick one. Uh for me at Sapphire. I mean, I see, I I get why somebody might enjoy Gunpowder Milkshake, but for me, homages only go so far, and when it's all you've got, you should let your cast do more than just stand there. Uh, For me, it's Sapphire. I need to qualify that statement uh, by really, really underlining the fact that I was discussing it not trying to say, oh, well, this shows racism. I don't think racism was there in Britain at that time, but just trying to say it was showing a different 
side of the racism compared to the more overt displays and confrontations that I'd known throughout the 70s and 80s. Yeah, they were all very, very racist instead of just being, you know, showy racist. Oh, yeah, but in a way, I think it's a, I think it's a, a more interesting approach in showing them being the, the sort of, you know, the fine china cups out and polite smile style. Um, it's 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 that way of you know you have different films that if every film showed evil or monsters it is horrific things you could easily avoid then that's not as effective as sometimes seeing it almost hiding in plain sight behind a a welcome mat and a smile you know oh no no i i i agree i was just giving you shit Um, I, I'm actually, I was actually super conflicted on what to pick this week, uh, because I see the merit in Sapphire, but I, uh, I was really conflicted on Sapphire and I just sat back and like, which one would I watch again on purpose? And I was like, I'd probably watch Gunpowder Milkshake again before I watch Sapphire again. So I voted that way. So I'm going to go with Gunpowder Milkshake. So Dave, we just... Uh, calling this episode Tyler's racist, yeah? <laughs> no. No. I mean, can, can you? you know, we could. Maybe. <laughs> no, it'll probably be some weird pun with, you know, words that most people aren't familiar with, because that's how I roll. Tyler will be that cartoon with the, the guy sweating with two buttons and both buttons just have movies without lesbian scenes in them this week. <laughs> Yeah, that oh, that'd be accurate, difficult. though. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, there's probably lesbian scenes with Angela Bassett and Lena Headey. They just weren't on screen. I'm, you don't react that way to someone if you haven't slept with them. I'm just saying. If Gunpowder Milkshake had lesbian scenes, then there was no way you'd believe that my dad actually picked it. So it's... No, I, I believe it. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the apple can only fall so far from the lesbian-obsessed tree. True, true. Uh, so next week it's Kevin and Tyler. What you guys got for us? Would you like to go first? Or you want me to go? Uh, you can go first, T. I've got my choice made, and whether it clashes with yours or mixes well is is always just a toss of the coin. Well, either way, you guys won't be happy with what I'm picking. So, oh, okay. um. Should I say my uh, feel-good movie pick for the month, or are we oh, saving Oh, yeah, those? no, go for it. Yeah, totally. I was going to ask afterwards, but you can you can give it right now. Our special this month is uh, feel-good movies, and I'm really curious what everybody thinks of is a feel-good movie. I'm curious is just another word for fear. Okay, so I'm going to go with the feel-good movie first. I am going with a movie that is an actually a feel-good movie. I mean, legit is one for me. Actually, it's I, I consider this probably my favorite comedy. I don't pick comedies very often for reasons because you know humor is subjective. But I am actually going with a comedy this time. I am going with Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. And uh, for next week, you guys, we covered almost all of this filmography now. So I'm going with a movie directed by one of my top three favorite filmmakers of all time. Once again, Larry Clark. We're watching The Smell of Us. Tyler, I hate you so much. 
Um, well, I am going to try and force you to enjoy comedy already because I am going for 1967's Playtime. It's time for some Jacques Tati. Yeah, you should be afraid, Tyler. You should be afraid. Wow, that is... I mean, you know, I, 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 I can see some overlap there. Sort of. <laughs> can you? Sure. No other, no other podcast gives you those double bills. I will find a way. Okay, uh, I'm trying to think how many Larry Clark we have left. Uh, two. We have What's Up Rockers and Marfa Girl 2, and that's it. Didn't we watch? I swear we watched Marfa Girl 2. We watched the first one, not the second one. Really? I, I mean, I guess, I guess three because I haven't okay. picked district. I haven't picked districted yet because that—that's the one where he did the short for. It has like Gaspar No and all that stuff. But oh, uh, okay. I guess, I guess three. I could have sworn we saw Marfa Girl too, but okay. I believe you that we haven't. I'm pretty sure we didn't. Unless I'm totally wrong. I mean, I—I I don't think so. I think we've just been threatened with it for so long. Uh, that's, it's become ingrained in our conscience. That's I mean, we, we will eventually, right? I mean, it's going to happen. That's possible. As always, you can find us on Instagram. No, yes. Uh, on Facebook. On YouTube, where every week Kevin is nice enough to drop some content and eventually full episodes will be going up on YouTube again. They, they used to it's just then um, I stopped because that took a lot of time and I, I like to keep busy doing the great work, the great work anyway. So uh, be sure to check us out at Rage of the podcast Raiders underscore of underscore the underscore podcast on Insta. And uh, I think we're just Raiders of the Podcast on Facebook. If you really want to get a hold of us, you can email us at Raiders of the Podcast at gmail.com or drop us a line over at Raiders of the Podcast.blogspot.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, guys. I'll talk to you next week. See ya. See ya. I'm the great pretender. Just laughing and gay like a clown I seems to be what I'm not, you see I'm wearing my heart like a crown Pretending that you